Hey folks, welcome to the podcast. My name is Paul and today I want to talk about how you might visualize your metabolism. Now this is a pretty interesting concept, but it's something that we've been experimenting on here for like the last probably 18 months or so and using some pretty cool bits of software and and sensors to try and do that. And what we're really finding is that that learning input of being able to feel as in your kinesthetic what do I what am I experiencing now in this moment as I'm riding as I'm running um, what is you're trying to learn what are people trying to tell you but then if you can see something as well it reinforces that understanding of how your metabolism is working at certain levels of exercise now what we've been using predominantly for this and I said predominantly because we use a range of different things is the moxie sensors now these are what they call a nerve sensor so near infrared spectrometry it's like a little infrared light that shines into your muscle and as it shines in there it bounces back and it looks for the difference between the dark red and the lighter red cells of the myoglobin and the hemoglobin and from that we can determine how many of those cells are carrying oxygen and how many aren't so we get a percentage reading of the amount of oxygen being carried in it's just um a certain percentage so you can imagine if your body was in a state of homeostasis so oxygen and carbon dioxide sort of coexisting in a pretty happy place you might imagine that to be around 50 percent now what happens when we start doing exercise then is absolutely fascinating before i get into that i just want to qualify this a little bit because some of the other um, scientific instruments we use are the vo2 master the gas analysis so we can get an insight into the oxygen coming in oxygen coming out core body temperature heart rate heart rate variability but today i just want to focus on that smo2 but just know that we're experiencing this in a range of different things, but just this one sensor alone is blowing my mind. And whether you own one or not, I think you'll find this podcast absolutely fascinating. All right, let's get started. Okay, so we started using these um, muscle oxygen sensors and we use them with a bit of software called Perf Pro. And what essentially it does is draw a graph that's absolutely live. So you might have seen this with your heart rate, for instance. You're probably a lot more familiar with heart rate and some of you more familiar with power. As you're riding, it draws a graph as your heart rate rising and falling and your power rising and falling. Well, exactly the same thing. But what we are seeing now is the saturation of oxygen in your myoglobin, your muscle, rising and falling as you exercise. Now, these sensors... We tend to use one sensor on what we call the working muscle. Most of the time for cyclists, that is the vascius lateralis, the big muscle on your quad. It can be uh, your hamstrings, it can be uh, calves, but we tend to concentrate on that one muscle. When we're doing any sort of particular testing, we might also use a second or even a third sensor. And we normally put that on something that's what we call the non-working muscle for cyclists. That's normally the arm muscle or something. And I'll get on to why we do that later because it gets a bit uh, complicated. But for now, I just want you to imagine that we have one sensor on your working muscle, that big quad muscle pushing down on the pedals, pushing off the ground in a running stroke, whatever it might be. And when you're just sitting down listening to this podcast or whatever it might be, you can imagine that your body's in a nice state of homeostasis. It's not really doing any exercise. It's just pretty happy be doing what it's doing now when we get up and do some exercise um, our heart rate has a bit of a lag to it so our heart rate's going to stay about the same for a little while 
but we need to call on that oxygen to try and make some energy to make our muscles twitch. So when you start doing exercise, you'll see the saturation of oxygen start to decline because your body's trying to use its reserve, if you like. It's got this little pile of oxygen in its muscles ready to go at a moment's notice, whether you need to fight or flight or just get up and walk and run up the stairs, whatever it might be. Now, do that for a few seconds. And as you know, if you start doing exercise, your heart rate will start to increase. And so will your respiratory rate, the rate of breathing. And that is your body now trying to respond to that stimulus, saying, whoa, I'm doing exercise here. I'm reducing my amount of, of oxygen that's been kept in my muscles. I need to replenish that. Um, and perhaps if this exercise is going on a bit longer, then I need to not just replenish it, but try and get some reserves going again. So this is when your cardiac system goes and your respiratory system goes and we start doing exercise and you start getting out of breath and your heart rate starts to go up because it's trying to supply oxygen and remove carbon dioxide from your body. Now, if you're visualizing this on that graph in front of you, so you started doing exercise and your level of SMO2, saturation of muscle oxygen, is starting to decline. Now, as your heart rate rises, so too should your SMO2 as it start, your body starts to get back on top of that supply and demand equation. Now, we get onto the really interesting bit because with these sensors, we can absolutely tailor make a, a warm-up absolutely specific to you. So you can imagine that before you go and stand on a start line of a race um, or whatever it might be, that you want the most amount of oxygen inside your muscles ready for when the gun goes and you've got to, got to start. And we can do that in a warm-up by tricking the body <laughs> into starting to store oxygen. And we might do that by doing a little bit of intense exercise, get the heart rate going and then rest. And then when your body's resting, your heart rate and your cardio system is still supplying oxygen and it's saturating those muscles more and more. And then we might fall it again and put another little sprint interval in there just to really boost the heart rate up. And then when you're recovering, remember when you, as soon as you stop sprinting or start doing intense exercise, your heart rate doesn't slow down uh, straight away. It takes a little bit of time. So we capitalize on that and we let your muscles absorb, saturate with more oxygen. And we might do this a few times and the length of the, the sort of the sprint interval or the amount of rest we can tailor so that we know that by the time you start your race, you should be starting with muscles absolutely packed, full of oxygen, ready to go. Now, to give you an idea, um, you can actually have muscle saturation of oxygen from zero to 100%. Most people I work with tend to get to around 70 to 80% after a really good warm up, and you can tell they feel good. And if then they start, um, racing, riding, whatever it is, they've got that little supply of oxygen ready to go rather than their heart rate having to catch up. It just gives them that ability for their cardio respiratory system to start catching up with the amount of exercise that you're doing. So pretty cool. And because we can visualize it, we, we can see that SMO2 drop. We can see how much rest you need. And as you're resting, your body will always try and find homeostasis, remember, It'll always try and get back to its nice, comfortable 50%. So we choose that length of rest to be just enough so that it replenishes, but then your body's not allowed to sort of drop down too far and get back to homeostasis. You want to trigger it again and, and, and get those muscles absolutely primed. Uh, it, priming it is, is a fantastic example. Okay, so imagine this, we've got this warm up done and you can see that you're 
oxygen saturation is sitting at a nice high number, you're warmed up and you're ready to go. And now we can start doing lots of really cool stuff with this. Now, one of the most useful things we do is nice, easy, steady state riding. Um, and the reason I say that is because when you're doing endurance activities, what you're trying to find is that point where your body is almost in homeostasis, but doing exercise. So your heart rate is re elevated a little bit. Your respiratory rate has raised a little bit, but the exercise you're doing is really, really sustainable. So what will happen in that visualization of that graph is that SMO2 number will drop a little bit. Your heart rate, respiratory system will come up and then you'll just find this nice level where what you're breathing and is almost in line with what you're using. And we can maintain this for a long, long time. And you might find that you do a little hill or a little um, sprint, which might drain it a little bit, but very quickly you can get back on top of it. And your power output or your speed should remain fairly static, as should your SMO2. And eventually your heart rate should become fairly static as well. And being able to visualize that point is really cool. This is like your endurance state. Um, the state where if you now just keep eating and drinking in a sustainable way, you should be able to sustain that level of exercise. Now, the, the really cool thing is if you go on for too long, remember from a previous podcast, we said capacity diminishes as duration continues. So as the ride gets longer and longer and longer at this intensity, what we will start to hide is your heart rate will start to climb and climb and climb, even though your power output is staying about the same. This is what we call heart rate decoupling. Uh, and it used to be a fairly old method of establishing where your capacities lies in an endurance state. Now with SMO2, what we'll find is happening is that your SMO2 will start to decline, even though you're putting out the same amount of power and your heart rate will increase at the same time. And this really starts giving us an input as to how your body is struggling. Now, there is another little piece of evidence that comes from this as well. And these little sensors can also look at a metric called total hemoglobin. So it gets an idea of the amount of hemoglobin underneath the sensor. And we're looking at that rise or that fall because your body will always try and prioritize uh, oxygen being sent to all your vital organs. You know, your, um, your heart, your brain, your lungs, all those sort of things are absolutely vital, your digestive system, etc. And if you're using all your oxygen in your working muscle, it won't like that. So if your cardiac system isn't capable of providing oxygen to all of your vital organs and your working muscle and your non-working muscle, then what your body does is very cleverly starts to um, close down the capillaries and starts to prioritize and push in fresh oxygenated blood into where it needs it the most. And as your endurance ride continues, this effect becomes more and more noticeable. So not only do you see the decline in SMO2, you might actually see that decline because your body is trying to prioritize where that oxygen actually gets sent. And with this in mind, we can now start discovering training aims. Maybe we need to just train that cardiac system in order to be able to deliver oxygen more. Or maybe we need to actually train the mitochondria in the muscles to utilize that oxygen more. So we start getting that insight. Now, 
as we go up through the levels of intensity, let's say we go and do a, a threshold set. So something similar to your FTP or um, something that's going to sort of make your muscles burn a little bit. You know, that intensity where you're sort of sweating, out of breath, probably can't really speak to your mate. It's sort of broken sentences type of intensity. Definitely what they'd call an unsustainable amount. Now here, you would visualize that in terms of the muscle oxygen as your a slow, steady decrease because your cardiopulmonary system can now no longer either supply the amount of oxygen or dispose of the amount of CO2 being produced. Remember that anaerobic activity produces CO2. So the more you're having to pull on that anaerobic energy, the more CO2 you're producing. And if your blood is carrying lots of CO2, it can't carry the oxygen. And it, that's why we call it a threshold. It becomes an unsustainable level of activity. Now, if you ride just about that threshold, you should see a slow, steady decline until you get to that point. If you go significantly above that, that rate of decline can um, <laughs> become much, much quicker. And for those of you who might have been familiar with a new metric floating around called uh, the velocity of lactate accumulation, this is starting to visualize what that actually is, how quickly you desaturate the amount of oxygen dependent on a certain level of activity. Now, a very, very fit person should sort of decline that slowly as their cardiopulmonary system can keep up. Someone maybe not so fit might crash through all of their oxygen supplies very, very quickly, um, have a little bit of anaerobic supply left, but then very quickly come to a stop. So your endurance at this over threshold can be sort of visualized in these graphs and it's it's fascinating because um, the kinesthetic part of this isn't quite accurate enough to really know so you will be out of breath and sweating and your legs will be hurting and and that sort of thing will be an uncomfortable experience but the difference between being just above that level and being enough above that level is quite hard to determine just from feel alone um, and being able to visualize how quickly your decline in oxygen supply is, is happening is, is, is really important, actually, because you get a really good insight as to how you might pace that sort of level of intensity. We're finding this fascinating in um, races that do significantly shorter events. So your time trial is cyclocross racing, mountain bike racing, when the events tend to be quite uh, short but very very intense so whereas they are endurance riders we're much more interested in where that decoupling happens and the nutrition involved in keeping blood sugar and muscle glycogen supplied during these activities now the the next interesting thing is when we start getting to the really intense activity that vo2 max where your cardiac system is maxed out so we're at max heart rate your pulmonary system is maxed out so your respiratory frequency your breathing rate is also maxed out your anaerobic system is maxed out so everything is just trying really really hard and how this would look in that saturation of muscle oxygen if you go into that should be quite high you would desaturate very very quickly there might be a little bit of an uptick just as your cardiopulmonary system starts to really kick in and supply and then a very rapid decline down to your minimum amount of muscle saturation. So, which then gives us another metric to work on, 
what is your minimum um, levels of muscle oxygen saturation? This is something that we can train. So as much as we can train and practice and your muscles to absorb and uptake oxygen, we also need to train that mitochondria to utilize it. So the two things have to go hand in hand. And when we have this nice strung out visual representation, we get this really detailed insight as to where you can then start prioritizing your training. So do you need to train so that you can utilize oxygen that's available to you? I do you have a big surplus of oxygen, but you're just your mitochondria isn't capable of uh, using it quite as quickly? Or do you have a problem with actually supplying enough oxygen to the worst work muscle in the first place? Now, when we have that visualization in front of it, it is so powerful because we can really start to dial down and prescribe very particular training interventions to try and get one of those two things um, a bit more in balance. And it will depend on your event. You know, a very short, hard race might want you to see the ability to desaturate quite quickly, i.e. use available oxygen very quickly and replenish it really quickly. A more endurance type ride might like to see you being able to hold a certain level of power output for an, an elongated length of time. And you're not too worried about how low or how high it gets. We're just worried about the power output at a state of equilibrium. Now, this, like anything, I think with the science that we have, being able to actually visualize what is happening is one of the most exciting things happening in sports science because it gives everybody the ability to really truly understand what your body is doing. And once you understand it, you can fuel that much more effectively. You know when to eat, you know what to eat, you know how to drink, you know the effect that's actually having. Because a lot of the time, um, those kinesthetic feedback, if you like, is clouded by adrenaline and other things going on in endorphins and you might not always pick up on all the physiological signs that you're fatiguing in a certain way so the education that comes from being able to feel it see it hear it from a coach stood next to you talking you through what the data is showing them and with those three inputs are oh, the understanding that you get about your about how your body is working um, I think is extremely powerful now, this podcast has probably gone on a little bit too long. Um, if you're keen on knowing more about the how we might use muscle oxygen, where you might find a, a test center near you, how it might work, then uh, please leave some comments. I'll be really, really keen to know because this is a subject that um, I'm really passionate about. But it's the first time we've really mentioned it too much on the podcast because we recognize this isn't technology that everybody has available to them. But my... My vision, if you like, is that this is a technology that is so much more usable than a power meter because you, as a power meter, you just get to know your output. Well, you kind of know what your output is through speed and stuff. But when you can see what your body is doing to actually produce that output, ah, oh, then you can actually make in some really cool decisions like how much do I need to eat? Can I sustain this level of output? How much rest do I need after that level of intensity so maybe i've done a short sharp hill how much recovery do i need do i need to sit in the group and fully recover can i go again you start to build up this massive magical picture of just what your body is capable of 
Right, that's enough from me. If you want to know more about muscle oxygen, uh, the moximeters, um, please follow the podcast. Let me know in the comments below. I'm also going to be speaking at the Moxie conference on the 20th of October. And I'll be talking about how we use Moxie meters inside a group setting. So imagine lots of little people around, all with very different metabolisms, um, doing different levels of activity and how people can compare and contrast and learn from each other. Hopefully, it'll be uh, a really interesting talk. Right, with all that in mind, I'm signing off. Thanks for listening, everybody, and take it easy out there.